1: New U.S. sanctions on Iran took effect today, six months after President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the international nuclear deal. The sanctions targeted on Shipping,
3: financial, and energy sectors, all key to the country's already struggling economy. The bombs, which the FBI referred to as improvised explosive devices, were sent to the FBI's bomb laboratory in Quantico, Virginia.
1: We're in Mexico again tonight as thousands of migrants try to find a faster way to the U.S. border. The White House says it's now getting help from the Mexican government. Making news out of Pittsburgh. The man accused
2: in the shooting at the uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh. He is pleading not guilty, and he also wants a jury trial, which means facing our 44 counts
1: in the final seconds before the Boeing 737 MAX crashed into the water, it was traveling at more than 500 kilometers an hour. All 189 people on board were
3: killed. You've now entered the house of mystery.
1: Crime, conspiracy. History and Science. With your hosts, Al Warren, Mike Brown, Julie Sav, Michael Butterfield,
3: Dr. Joseph Usinski, and Michael Hawley.
1: Heard on KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles,
0: 102.3 FM Riverside,
1: and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting.
3: Welcome back into the house of mystery, and of course i'm Al Warren screwing with the controls and uh, on the east coast we've got mr uh, david rose martino <laughs> you're back to rose again well, it has to be Rose because I mean who else would go see a Frankie Valley concert <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic yeah i mean yeah. that's that's crazy you you were the young in there, I was. Oh, there, there were there were a couple of people there who were younger than I was. But. Just yeah. mistake. They walked in by accident. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know where they were. <laughs> they they were looking for to my shot. motley crew concert, <laughs> <laughs> and they walked in and it's like, what's this? Well, no, actually, I will say I would give you a bad time, but I think that's one of the one of your uh, really charming features is that um, you actually uh, take took your mother there. <laughs> yeah, well, you, know, you, you know, it's. I think it's. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. A lot of people. Um, we'll make fun of it but I think that's a, a great thing to do so there I'm giving you me a, a pat in the back I'm
2: taking it <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often that's right that's right <laughs> that's right okay.
3: No, but, okay so you have to behave yourself today we've got a serious show we've got uh, I the FBI will. is in the room uh oh <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and they probably were at the concert with you watching every movie. <laughs> <laughs> you were. Probably a lot of oh, drug yeah. dealers there. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, it's, yeah, I mean, we're anyway, not going to go there. Um, so <laughs> we've got um, an ex or a retired, I should retired. say, a, FBI agent. That's Kathy Stearman. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Al. I appreciate it. I'm looking
2: forward to it. <laughs>
3: Hopefully you say that at the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they'd be busting the studio. Um, Wow. So you've had quite the career. Um, Now, um, how did you decide that you wanted to be in the FBI? Like, what brought you to that agency and decided to go for it?
1: You know, I I didn't grow up wanting to be an FBI agent. I even I had no idea what an FBI agent was until um, I was at least in my you know teenage years. Um, I didn't really get to watch a lot of TV, so I didn't get to see those special agent programs on TV. It was actually when I was um, finishing up my college years and working on a, an MBA, and. I had originally planned to be a surgeon, and I realized as much as I love science, I did not want to be a surgeon. I didn't really like being around sick people all that much, not because I mind sick people. It's just I didn't really want to. Um, this is going to sound terrible, but here are their complaints. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that didn't suit me very well in the FBI. But um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I really wanted to do something different. You know, I I wanted to be adventurous and um, do something that women just did not get to do, let alone want to do. And then a family friend of mine said, you know what, you really should consider, you know, the FBI or the CIA or the State Department because they all uh, have offices overseas and they are all taking women now. And I really think that this is right up your alley. So I started applying to all of those agencies and... um, Secret Service as well, which I do write about that experience in the book, and um, ended up, you know, with the FBI. You know, they were the ones who called me first and said, hey, would you, uh, you know, went through the, the process, you know, the interviews and the background investigation, and then after I did all of that, um, they called and said, okay, we have a slot for you at the FBI Academy at, uh, at Quantico Virginia, which is where the Marine Corps base is. So I sort of Stumbled into it. Um, it wasn't a lifelong plan, that's for sure.
3: Well, you no, know, I. W- but it seems to be that's quite a difference from from what you were doing in school, because um, I'm just trying to figure this out. Because I would never, um, you know. Uh, jump into being in the FBI. So there must have been some sort of, uh, was there an attraction to being um, policing or some, 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 something about the FBI that you found intriguing?
1: Um, it wasn't the policing so much as the investigative part, I think. Uh, I think that I've always loved um, mysteries and, um, you know, I think I wrote about this in the book when I was a little girl. I love to dig up things um, I was, you know, my initial love was going to be archaeology. And I was always digging up stuff and trying to figure out who put it there, and where did it come from? And, you know, who were these people that, that lived where, you know, I grew up uh, hundreds of years ago. So that was always intriguing to me. And then um, later, I loved uh, learning about archaeology and the mysteries of other cultures and societies. And I think that that's probably what drew me to the FBI when I was initially told about it. Plus, I really like the fact that not a lot of women were in the FBI at the time. And To me, that was a challenge, and I, I always love a challenge, and I'm the kind of person, still am, and was when I was a young girl. If you tell me that I can't do something or I won't be able to do something, then... I always thought to myself, "Well, then, you know what? You should go stand in the corner and just watch me do it." Um, so it was probably more um, of a challenge too than than anything else. I wanted to I wanted to be different because I knew that somewhere inside myself there was this different person, this different young woman. You know, I didn't want to get married and have kids and do the whole um, normal family thing. I just didn't. To me, I wanted to run as far away from possible from uh, that kind of life. And I did.
3: Oh, good. I mean, I did too. Now, um, your book title, It's Not About the Gun, you know, and it's lessons from my global career as a female FBI agent. So It's Not About the Gun. That's an interesting title. Um, How did you come up with that?
1: Was writing the book, I started um, to write about the fact that when I was overseas, you know, I didn't carry a gun. Uh, you can only, as an FBI agent, a legal attaché, can only carry a gun if you're in certain countries like Iraq and um, Afghanistan and places where you're, you're more likely to need one. Uh, but in ninety-nine percent of the legal offices overseas, the Legat the Legat personnel, they're not allowed to carry a gun. It's you know, you, you we don't have the the authority and the jurisdiction in other countries to do so. So I became accustomed to not carrying a gun and I would go to all the countries that I covered in South Central Asia and China and Mongolia and I was by myself a lot, you know, after hours or, um, you know, I traveled by myself a lot. And I got accustomed to not being concerned or worried about someone shooting me. I mean, here in the United States. I mean, let's face it, you know, you, you, you can go to the movie theater and somebody can shoot you. You could go to a restaurant and someone can shoot you or a concert. And I got accustomed to feeling safe. From People who were always carrying guns. And when I came back to the United States, I realized I I came back uh, from living in China and I was in San Francisco. And I realized that I had to sort of carry myself differently once I came back from from overseas that, you know, I could be at a stop sign and look at somebody the wrong way. And whatever bad day they're having or whatever, you know, they're thinking, they could shoot me if they have a gun. Um, And that can pretty much happen anywhere in the United States. And so I really started thinking about the gun itself and having to carry that as an FBI agent throughout your career. And interestingly enough, one of the first questions that people would ask me when I was overseas, because they're very, very curious about the FBI and the FBI is highly regarded. And one of the first questions that I would always get is, do you really carry a gun? And you could tell by the question that they, they really thought that was cool, because all of the countries I covered, people don't carry guns. You know, now yes, there are terrorists and there are bombers, but um, that's a little bit different. And so I realized that there's this fascination not just within the United States with guns, but overseas, and that really started to trouble me. And I started to look back at all the things that I did when I was overseas as the league at that didn't require a gun, I, absolutely nothing I did required a gun, unless I was going to be one of the, the main people left at the embassy to protect the people inside the embassy, and um, then of course, as I say in the book, the Marines are going to provide me the weaponry in order to be able to to do that, to be that person. So it just sort of evolved into um, thinking about what a, what carrying a gun means, and there's a huge responsibility in carrying a gun. And I think that most people don't think about the responsibility. I think they just think about, ooh, it's really cool to carry a gun. And the reality is it's not that it's cool to carry a gun. There's a huge, huge responsibility involved. And I really, that really hit home for me when I came back to the United States from living for years overseas without one.
3: Yeah. Wow. No, well, Phoenix will not be airing this show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't imagine a lot of places in the United States will be airing this show because, you know, let's face it, we are a gun culture. Yeah, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, they're, they're, that's the only um, area that seems to um, avoid airing that type of show. Um, but um, I, I always wonder. So, uh, not only not carrying a gun, and and the way the other countries are, um, it's very unusual for Americans. I don't think they realize unless they're they're there or doing it. What do you think the most surprising thing about being an FBI agent is to someone that uh, has never been in that kind of career? What do you think it would be?
1: (laughs) For sure, how much paperwork you have to do. Um You, you know, you, you people watch these TV shows and the movies and they think, oh, it's cool, you're out on the street, you're always doing all this stuff, or you're sitting in front of a, comput- a very high-tech computer that can solve your case in about an hour, which is so not true, but they never show FBI agents writing up reports or, you know, doing their travel vouchers and things like that. Because everything you do, you know, every person you go out and talk to, every surveillance you do, every investigation you have requires a ton of report writing. And, you know, I was laughing, you know, a couple weeks ago with someone uh, on this very topic, and I said, you know, the only TV show I have ever watched that had an FBI agent writing a report was Dana Scully on The X-Files. And if you'll remember, (laughs) at the end of every episode, she would be writing her report um, about, you know, what happened during that episode. So I think that's probably the biggest the biggest surprise uh, that most people just don't realize is just how much writing an FBI agent does.
3: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But that gets you ready to write a book.
1: That's what I told people. That, <laughs> because I actually had someone say to me, well, what makes you think you can write a book? You were just an FBI agent. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the actual, you know, the, we wrote so much. And as a legal attache, you're not just writing reports. You are writing talking points for ambassadors. You're writing talking points for um, Director Mueller, um, the Attorney General. Um, you're writing a, um, research papers for all of the same. And um, depending on what's going on, you may have an ambassador call you like 7 o'clock in the morning and, I need for you to write me a press release on this investigation. And so um, you learn, especially as a legal attache, that it's not just writing a report. It's not just the facts, ma'am. You have to sort of cater to whatever audience you're writing for, and those audiences differ from country to country. So I had to learn to not just write reports where, you know, you write the facts, but... Um, provide information in a way that uh, a different country different you know um, law enforcement and different media would understand the investigation or whatever it is that, that whatever message you need to get across to them.
3: what is a like the day in the life of a legal attache what, what is that like?
1: Oh wow I am um, <laughs> every yeah, every <laughs> single day is completely different. And every day, inevitably, I would come into the office or I would already be there from being there in the middle of the night um, with, you know, a sort of plan in my head. And I don't think there was a single day that I actually got to work on my daily plan. Um, I handled uh, so many different investigations in India from most of it was terrorism, but there was a lot of um, international kidnapping. I would help uh, other countries, like if there was a bombing um, in other countries, like for instance, there was a bombing in the Maldives when I was the at and Americans were not involved, and generally the FBI doesn't get involved unless an American is hurt or killed. There were no Americans involved, but part of the Legat's job is to assist your foreign counterparts if they request that of you. So there was a bombing in the Maldives, and they asked me if I would get the FBI out to the Maldives to help them process the crime scene and to find the perpetrators. So I did. You know, there's a special team that um, flies out, and they uh, travel to foreign countries at the request of the LIAT and the foreign country, and they go and they do investigations and crime scenes and things like that. So I did that a few times um, in China. There were, um, unfortunately, a lot of international parental kidnappings. And what I mean by that is, um, let's say, an American citizen, usually a man, um, sorry guys, uh, (laughs) goes to China and he finds himself a Chinese wife. And he brings her back to the United States and they have a child. And then generally what happens is the Chinese wife, once she gets her citizenship or green card then she packs up her suitcases along with the child she goes back to china to live with her family and the child though born in the united states is considered by the people's republic of china to be a chinese citizen and it doesn't matter if that child has an american passport they considered because they say if you're chinese then you belong here you don't believe in belong in the united states so, unfortunately, just about every parental, uh, international parental kidnapping case that I had, the, the the parent never, ever got their child back because China just review, refused to cooperate because they did not recognize that that child was an American citizen, even if that child had a passport. So, you know, I did a lot of things like that, um, you know. Uh, terrorism in both countries, believe it or not. I know a lot of people probably wouldn't think that of China. Um, but yeah, I mean, on a daily basis, I it just changed from day to day. Um, I would assist other U.S. government agencies in doing things. Um, I met with my other counterparts quite a bit, uh, and, and who were like my equivalent legal attaché from australia and the uk and new zealand and places like that and we would get together and share information or if there was something urgent you know we would share information if we could um so yeah it was uh every single day was completely unexpected and exciting and i still had to do all that paperwork
3: i <laughs> hired someone scully for that uh, so <laughs> i wish so when we okay, so when we get to this, now before we get into some of the uh, more ne- let's say challenging aspects rather than negative, um, because not only is it a challenge, I guess being in a, as you said earlier, man's world so to speak, being in the FBI or a policing agency like that, especially when you start it, um, but when things come up when. Um, like, like just recently, because Phoenix won't play us anyway. So we could talk about the dislike of, let's say, um, let's say of, of a president toward the FBI, or when someone in government is talking down about FBI. Does that mm-hmm. does that make you feel like um, a, a little bit under more pressure than ever?
1: Um, you, you mean me personally in writing this book?
3: Yeah, like, because the way that, you know, the way it turned in the last, it seemed like there was, I've heard a lot of negative talk about the FBI and the CIA and stuff like sure. that. And, you know, there's a lot of banter going on, you know, it wasn't the best. Um, so with that kind of negative talk around that, are, are you worried about kind of coming out and going, listen, I'm an FBI agent? Um,
1: I'm really not, uh, because I, I think I got accustomed over the years when I was an FBI agent that, uh, there's always someone who doesn't like the FBI, believe me. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've been cursed at. I've been spit at. When people find out that I was an FBI agent, especially when I was in California um, working out of the San Francisco office, because, you know, there you know, there are a lot of people in California, at least at the time, that are far more liberal and looked at the FBI as, um, you know, Someone who's reading their phone messages or following them or whatever they thought that the FBI was doing, which is, you know, not true. But I, I was very open in my book about how my opinion and how I feel. And I will start this by saying when I was an FBI agent, I absolutely had no idea what other FBI agents were as far as their political affiliation. I had no idea who was a Democrat. I had no idea who was a Republican. My very best friend, who was also my maid of honor, I had no idea whether she was a Republican or Democrat until we were both retired. We just didn't talk about it. No one I worked with talked about politics. The job was to protect the American people, and it didn't matter if those American people were Republicans or Democrats. Now, you know, come forward a little bit, and with the election of Donald Trump, I think that changed. And the morning after Donald Trump was elected, uh, and I was still in a major state of depression, I said to my husband, I said, I am afraid that Donald Trump and the way he behaves and the fact that he thinks he can say whatever he wants, and he has, and still get elected, I'm concerned that that's going to give those men who have harbored those same feelings, but have just sort of kept them tamped down. My concern is he's going to, that Donald Trump is going to give all those men the, the right in their minds to say whatever they want and behave however they want. And unfortunately, I think that we've seen that in the FBI. I think that even in the FBI, this was not like this when I was there, but I think that there are some agents who decided, well, you know, now I can be more political and I can voice my opinion and maybe try to skew an investigation a certain way because this is the way I want it to go versus the way it actually should be, You know, a more balanced viewpoint and a more balanced investigation for all American people, not just the ones that I agree with. So unfortunately, I think that the FBI has changed a bit. In that regard, and um, I do believe that Christopher Ray, hopefully, he's going to tamp down on that type of behavior. Uh, I don't really know, but um, I can honestly say that it wasn't like that when I was an FBI agent, and I truly believe that the ridiculousness of what's gone on in our government and the White House since 2016 has contributed to the way that the FBI is viewed. Uh, Some of it, some of it is um, not warranted and some of it is warranted, unfortunately.
3: Mm. Yeah. It's a strange, strange time. I I never expected to see that in my life, but um, wow. Um, So when you, when you got into the FBI, um, how many females were there? Was that kind of, it was pretty much um, almost nothing, right?
1: Um, there were about 600 women in the FBI at the time uh, with about 10,000 agents, I believe, maybe 10 or 11,000 agents total. So there were very few of us. And um, it was, it was uh, you know, well, I have to say that when I went through Quantico, through the new agents um, training academy, it was a lot of fun. I mean, my, my fellow male agents in my training class, they were fine. Uh, we had a great time, and I some of them I'm still friends with uh, all these years later. The main thing that gave me um, uh, the, the biggest challenge was my firearms instructor, and he was adamant that I was not going to pass that course, and um, he tried his best to get me kicked out. And I don't write this in the book, but later after I had graduated Quantico and was in my field office, I went back to Quantico for a conference, and I saw him in the hallway. And, of course, I was just like, so what are you up to these days, you know? Because I thought, okay, I'm already in the FBI. You can't do anything to me now. <laughs> and he said, well, Spearman, he goes, I'm doing my job. Just got myself another woman kicked out of the FBI just a few days ago. And then he just kept walking down the hallway. I mean, that's I, – I, he was just – he just did not want women in the FBI And unfortunately, I think that there are still some men like that, um, because in 2019, there was a a case reported in the New York Times where 16 women who had gone through training at Quantico on the firearms range had um, experienced some type of sexual harassment. So people ask me, oh, has the Bureau changed? Absolutely. Yes, it has in some ways, but in other ways, it hasn't.
3: What was it like to, um, or what was the training like uh, to become an FBI agent?
1: Um, it was pretty rigorous. I don't think it's quite as rigorous now as it as it used to be. But um, we did, uh, our days were divided up into three. You know, one was a classroom, one was firearms, and the other was physical fitness. And physical fitness could be anything from boxing to wrestling uh, to learning the um, Um, how to defend yourself against uh, other, you know, like if you get into a fight, uh, we would go out running, we would climb ropes, we would do obstacle courses, um, a lot, a lot of running, and we spent, well, some of us didn't have to because there were a few, you know, former Marines and Navy SEALs in the class, but uh, a lot of us spent a lot of time (laughs) in the gym after class,
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: And just really trying to uh, improve our physical fitness. So some days you might walk into the classroom thinking, okay, today I'm going to be in class for the next four hours and we're going to have a, a class on um, investigations or how to write a report. Boring. And then as soon as you would sit down, the instructor would come in and say, surprise, surprise, it's a beautiful day outside. We're going to go back to your rooms, change into your gym clothes, and we're going to go out and run, you know, five miles, eight miles, ten miles, or whatever it was. They had decided whatever punishment we had deserved <laughs> to, to get that day. So, um, yeah, it, it was fun, though. I mean, I wasn't a great runner, but um, – Everything else I loved, I mean, I was really good at shimmying up those ropes. So whenever we had to do obstacle courses, and um, at the very end of the obstacle course, you know, we would have these contests, and the rope would be at the end, it would be maybe 25, 30 feet in the air, and my team would always put me as the anchor. They would toss me over, you know, all of the (laughs) the walls to get me to that rope first because they knew I could climb that rope faster than, than anybody else pretty much in the class.
3: That's interesting. You know, yeah. the, um, surprise, surprise, that's Gomer Pyle, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is it that you want people to get out of the book? Like why, why have you written the book? And, and so when someone takes it home, reads it, uh, besides of course, some of the, um, stories and information, is there an underlying kind of subtext that you want people to appreciate about your book?
1: I, you know, I do. I, I wrote it – I initially started writing it because people were like, oh, my God, you've got great stories. You should tell those stories, write them down, whatever. But after I started writing, I realized that I want the young women who come after me in the Bureau and in other male-oriented jobs, I want those young women to go into those positions – with confidence and know that they deserve to be there. Because if you get into an organization like the FBI and the CIA and, and other more male-dominated organizations, if you get in, you deserve to be there. And I changed for the FBI. I became harder and brittle, and I learned to curse a lot more, unfortunately. And I, I believe I changed a good deal of myself. Um, And then toward the end, when there were a lot more challenges that came my way, I really started to shut myself off from the people on the job. And I don't want young women to do that. I want them to know that they can go in and be themselves, and I want them to change the organization. I don't want it to be the other way around. So really, I would like to empower young women. I want them to read this book, know that the FBI was a great job. It was a job like no other. You're never going to have another job like it. But at the same time, it will have challenges. And I want those young women to to stand tall and find their place, stand there, and don't let someone, usually a man, to tell them, you don't belong here. Um, You don't deserve to be here. The other thing that I would like the reader to take away is the fact that the FBI does work overseas you know we have over 70 offices um, around the world and those offices are doing amazing work it's not just the CIA and the State Department that are overseas although I will say that when your legal attache and the legal attache personnel um, works very very closely with our partners in the CIA and the State Department we really wouldn't be able to do a lot of things if we didn't work together. And contrary to popular belief, and what you see on all the TV shows and movies, um, I have very, very good friends in the CIA. We work very closely together. And I can say that there were a lot of things that I would not have been able to do if I had not had the support of my CIA counterparts and vice versa. So um, I really want people to, to know that that the FBI is overseas doing wonderful things, sometimes in dangerous areas, um, but they're not just domestic. They are um, they're out there every day working really hard. Uh, and usually, if you're overseas in a lead office, you're working 24/7 because whatever is happening around the world and it involves the FBI, you're going to be answering that phone, even if it's one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. You're going to go into the office. It uh, doesn't matter what time you're going to start your day. Sometimes your days don't end for two or three days straight, and that's just the way it is. So, yeah, those are the two main messages I would like the reader to take away.
3: That's awesome. You know, you also worked um, undercover. Uh, what was that like?
1: <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um because at the time, there were very few women who wanted to work undercover. Uh, number two, mm-hmm. there were very few women who actually um, went through the undercover school. The undercover school is at Quantico, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's a little longer now, but at the time it was two weeks long, and you learn how to carry yourself in different scenarios. So I was fortunate that I had a female mentor, and she went to the undercover unit at headquarters. So she was able to get me a slot at the undercover school. And because there were so few women that were certified to be an undercover agent that I got called out on undercover operations all the time all over the country. And it was a lot of fun. And there were, there were when I first started out, I was a little bit naive. Uh, I didn't truly understand how dangerous it could be. Um, for instance, I was working an operation in California, and it was a, a drug operation, and the main undercover agent, you know, he was male, and he was uh, trying to help bring down a major drug cartel. So I was posing as a girlfriend, and we went to this event, and um, during that event, the, you know, the, the, the head of the drug cartel was happen, happened to be there, and he started talking to the two of us, my male agent counterpart and I, and he said, if I find out that the two of you are FBI agents, uh, I will kill you both. And it mm. was sort of at that point that it really hit me. That's like, you know, being an undercover agent is, it's, it's fun and you get to be someone different wherever you go, but it is all, it can also be very, very dangerous. And that, particular incident really hit home for me and then there were other undercover operations where it was just it was just plain old fun uh, to go out and pretend to be someone else and you can develop whatever personality you wanted whatever personality or persona fit that particular scenario. Um, I really really enjoyed it uh, until I you know met my future husband and then I I didn't want to. Disappear for days on end, where I couldn't mm. reach out to him, he couldn't reach out to me, and it did become old after a while because most of the roles that I got to play were secondary roles, and um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the the bad guys that I dealt with had no regard for women, mm. and so you know, I, I got I got I got tired of being treated like a a bimbo <laughs> most of the time.
3: <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, how has this whole thing changed you?
1: Uh, you mean the FBI writing the yeah. book? Well, actually, uh,
3: maybe both, because like, at, when you come out of the end of the FBI and retire, um, how, how do you think it's changed your life from before you even just when you started it? Like, like, What do you think the biggest changes are? It,
1: my my career toward the end um, presented a lot more challenges to me personally, or I should say professionally, because I, I got the impression that there were, there were people within the FBI, m- mainly men, or I should say all men, who felt like I shouldn't be in the position that I had. I shouldn't be, um, have that, that high level of a position uh, as legal attache, and they, I think they just didn't want me there, and they tried to make my life pretty hard, and so that really differed from early in my career when, you know, I worked with some amazing male agents, people who became, you know, true friends, um, as well as colleagues, and I give so many men that I work with a lot of credit and it really was toward the end when I started to climb the ladder, so to speak, that I, I was met with so many um, negative challenges. And by the time I left the FBI, I felt a little bruised. I was hurt and I was very, I was angry, uh, if I'm being honest about it. And when I left and retired, I, I, I was just happy to leave because I was, I was just kind of fed up with the behavior that I saw uh, and had experienced, and then after I started writing the book and reviewing my career and writing the stories that I put in the book, and the book, by the way, had, I mean, I wrote maybe a third more of this book than actually got published, so there were so many positive, wonderful things that happened in my career, and then I realized that. Yes, at the end, there were challenges, and yes, at the end, I felt angry, but the reality is the FBI truly changed my life and gave me opportunities that I would not have had otherwise. I mean, how many times do you get to do things like go overseas and work in an embassy as an FBI agent and have meet all the people, the wonderful, wonderful people that I met and, and the experiences that I had? Um, I would never have gotten that anywhere else and any other job. So that just sort of reviewing it and going over it and then writing it down um, really brought me back full circle to why I joined the FBI in the first place. And that's because I wanted um, to be different. I wanted to do something different and to meet interesting, amazing, dedicated people, which I got to do. So I think the whole writing process brought me back around to the very beginning where, in spite of that, you know, nasty firearms instructor at Quantico, um, I loved it. I loved my job. It was great.
3: Is that fire instructor um, still alive? or
1: <laughs> He most certainly is, and I'm sure he has not read my book. And if he has read my book, I doubt that he would recognize himself. I think he's one of these people that, you know, has no clue as to his own um, – Well, I won't curse. So
3: his own personality. (laughs) But, you know, okay, when I look at this and I see that one of the the, uh, pre-write-ups about the book, about you saying uh, you had read in the New York Times about the 16 women that were suing the FBI for discrimination at the training academy. Mm -hmm. So, and you were surprised, I guess, that they had actually come forward and were trying to do something about it. What do you think makes the agency so? I don't know. I don't want to say misogynist, but, I, I, but so
1: misogynist. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't. I wasn't. Sure, I'll you know. say it. Okay. You might not want to say it, but well, I'll I'll say just it. No. I just don't.
3: You know, I don't. I don't like to jump in because you know it's not my. Exp- I have not been in the FBI, so I cannot say. But so you're you're so. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this could be because it's 2021 and and I know this happened a while back but it's still it just seems so alien to me to think that a a, a woman could do less than a man in a job if they're just as trained or if they're just as ambitious and want to do something. Well, thank you
1: for that. You're an unusual man.
3: Well, I, yeah, I've been told that. But I just, <laughs> I just don't understand. Um, um, that,
1: I think why. that the F- the FBI it, hires. Um, they hire a, a lot of former police officers, and after nine eleven, you know, they hire a lot of um, former military um, officers, and so you know, those are two very male oriented uh, environments that that men come from. I think the second thing is is that the FBI still doesn't hire that many women. The percentage of women has not increased that much in the last 30 years. So when you have an organization that doesn't want to have, doesn't want to increase the number of women in the organization and make it more diverse, then you're still going to have the prevalence of um, a male-oriented environment. And I think that the FBI doesn't, doesn't have a lot of women that climb the ladder. There have been one or two, there are a few here and there, but for the most part the men in management, the people in management are men. And maybe that's because a lot of women just think, "Ah, oh, you know what, I, I just don't even want to pull up with the, put up with the crap. But it, it's still, it, unfortunately, things still go on. Like, just recently in the news, in the last month, there have been two major investigations, one out of the Albany office, the FBI Albany office, where there was allegations of sexual harassment, um, sexual abuse, and in the Las Vegas office. uh, This was, unfortunately, an article that talked about how uh, a male supervisor was harassing a female supervisor by sending her photos of himself with his bureau phone with a dildo in his lap so I mean, wow. you just think to yourself, "How stupid can you be, and mm. how much do you hate women, or how much do you feel that you have power over women to do that so if someone asked me how I thought the, the the hiring process needs to change, and you know so or, my my point was, how do you weed out misogyny um i really think that you weed out misogyny by hiring more women i mean our population is 50% women so why should the fbi not be 50% women plus we need more di- the fbi needs more diversity so um yeah that's sort of my take on where the fbi is now has it changed for the better in some ways absolutely but unfortunately there're still some factions of the fbi that still believe women don't belong wow
3: do you have any advice for women to uh, for, for, for 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 women to empower themselves uh, with within a male dominated profession?
1: As a matter of fact, um, I'm so fortunate that that young women have reached out to me after they read the book. Um, they reached out to me via my um, my website because I have a contact page there, and I've had so many women ask me. Some of them are getting ready to go into the FBI Academy and some of them want to. And I tell them, don't change yourself. You go in knowing that you deserve to be there. And if someone challenges you and tries to make you feel or says to you that you don't belong there, then you stand tall and you back them up. Do it professionally, but be firm and make the, make the change the organization. On your own, don't let it change you. And um, I actually had a, um, <laughs> a copy editor say to me when she was going through my initial manuscript, she said, do you really want to write all this in your book? Don't you think you need to tone it down a little bit? And I said to her, four-letter word, four-letter word, um, <laughs> tone it down? Are you kidding me? I should have toned it up. And so I tell women that don't tone yourself down. If someone tries to make you believe that you don't belong there, um, you tone it up, girl, and you let them know in no uncertain terms that you belong there, you're going to stand there, and you are going nowhere. But they just have to be strong and professional and be themselves. And that's how the environment of the FBI is going to change.
3: Good advice. And and so what is, what is your website? So people have it if they want, if they want to come look you up and it's
1: very easy. It's com.
2: Oh,
3: that is easy. (laughs) Of course we'll have that linked as well to our website. So, you know, so that people can find you with one click who are listening. Absolutely. So that's, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, um, but you have to tell us. So, um, this whole, uh, so when Bill Gates is putting in the chips into the vaccine, (laughs) you got to tell us, how did the FBI get this to work? Like, I mean, you guys are all in on it, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) The FBI's in on it, the CIA's in on it, the NSA's in on it. I mean, the the Chinese are definitely in on it. Trust (laughs) me there. Total
3: conspiracy. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, And you must know, we haven't landed on the moon. So, um... (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, somebody had some great video equipment, and uh, what can I say?
3: Well, but, you, know, but the, you know, we laugh about it, but the thing is there's a huge amount of the American population that really is conspiratorial, we'll say, right now, and there's a lot of fear out there about government and government agents and stuff like that. How, how do you respond to that yourself? Like, how do, you know, if you're out in the public and someone starts telling you that, oh, COVID's not real, or they start telling you some conspiracy about something, you know, um, how do you deal with that?
1: Um, usually when somebody talks about conspiracy, I just sort of walk away, but usually I get when they hear that I was with the FBI, or even when I, you know, even when I was still an agent, people would say, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're tapping my phone, and, and you're, you know, reading my emails, and My quick response was really, um, frankly, no no offense. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you're not really all that interesting. (laughs) Um, And then, if the if the person was a little bit uh, more mm, intelligent, let's say, I would say, you know what? Think about it. You are one person just in this country, three hundred and thirty plus million people. How many emails do you send a day? How many do you receive? Think about how many people it would take to review every single person's emails in this country every day Mm -hmm. and with the multiple emails that go out there. I mean, let's just really think about that. Nobody is reading your emails every day unless you're a spy or a terrorist. And, yes, somebody might be reading your emails. But if you're just a regular person, nobody really cares about your emails. So no offense, but who cares? And I would just respond like that.
3: Yeah. Well, it's a little nicer than me. I always say nobody cares about you. <laughs> you can just blame it on the NSA. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just sort of, um, it, it sort of just freaks me out a little bit like that. That's all. I just think people get well, away. I mean, the government can't even pave our roads for crying out loud, right?
1: Or fix our bridges. Hey, yeah. you know, I I completely agree with you, but... You know, when you have people that are looking at one news source, and that news source is very, 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 very hanging off the, the, the right cliff by a pinky nail conservative, um, what are you going to do? You, you can't force them to try to... Most people are too lazy to try to get more information. Like when someone tells me something, I'm like, really? And... I'll try, I will step around that one piece of information 360 degrees to find out what I believe to be is the truth, the facts. And it doesn't matter what it is. And so I always say that, you know, I look at something from a 360 degree view. Most people are too lazy to do that. And I say they are just, I'll just say it, they're lazy. Um, it's much easier to have someone tell you how to think, tell you what to think. Than, than to actually figure out for yourself what you should be thinking.
3: Well, there you go, Dave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what's next?
3: What's next for you? Like, where do you, where are you going from here?
1: Um, I love writing. I'm going to be Dana Scully, um, except, though, <laughs> you know, I guess I won't be, you know, looking into the X-Files. But, no, I love writing, and I love um, writing about women, empowering women, So my plan is I actually have um, some ideas uh, that I'm working on, doing some research for a couple of women, obscure women from history that no one knows about or they know very little about. So I really would like to write nonfiction books about um, those women and bring their achievements to light and, um, you know, let, let the world know that. You know, history was founded on women as well as men, and that's the message that I would like to get out there. So, yeah, I'll keep writing as long as someone will keep reading.
3: Oh, just and publish me. Yeah, just write anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. It
3: doesn't matter, you know. I mean, I mean, nobody reads my books, and <laughs> I, I keep on writing. And you know, hey, well, hour. see,
1: there you go. You get the writing bug, and you just can't stop. I agree with that. I love it.
3: Well, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, um, wow. It's been a very interesting conversation. And, and uh, uh, you'll have to come back and you'll have to tell us about UFOs and aliens and how, how hmm. you guys keep it covered up for so long.
1: I would absolutely be more than happy to do that, but you're going to have to let me consult with Dana Scully first. (laughs) 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 She's my go-to person because, you know, she's a little bit like me. She's skeptical, so she's going to look at that UFO issue from 360 degrees, and then she's going to come up with uh, an opinion.
3: Yeah, but I I, I thought you guys were covering it up.
1: Uh, The FBI? Well, you know, (laughs) amongst all the other things that we cover up, I think that you're probably thinking about the Navy you know, well,
3: they like to cover mm. up that stuff. <laughs> or I should stars. say, I should say the Air
1: Force. You know, yeah. the Air Force—they're the ones with all the uh, the cool planes and stuff. So no, I don't know. It's true. You might want to, might want to check with them.
3: No, but the but you know, in a flat Earth, they haven't. The pilots are all in on it. We can't trust them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course not. You know. Especially if they're Russian or Chinese. Let's just put it that way. Yeah.
3: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Forget it. You know, Canadians are the worst. Oh, they're just terrible.
1: <laughs> so I've heard.
3: Yeah. That's it. Leave it on Canada. Come on. We know they did it.
1: Hey, you guys have a lot of room up there to hide all the aliens that have been coming to Earth for a long, long time. So mm. I can certainly see that.
3: That's that's Quebec. <laughs> okay, all
1: right, Quebec. Well maybe not. Too too cold for the aliens are like they came down once and like like, yeah, I'm not going back down there.
3: No, yeah, don't tell them. Tell them it's cold and it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible place to live. People say A. It's smoky. Yeah, it's smoky. <laughs> but we, we turn on the smoke. It's fake. It's, it's, it's the laser beams, right? Well, it's,
1: it's so that the aliens can't find you. It's, it's literally crazy. a smoke screen. Oh, That's right.
3: We've learned a lot. My mm-hmm. God. You've done it all. Um,
1: what, what can I say?
3: I've tried. You've you done it all, and here we are, just doing simple jobs, and I, I, I just don't know what to say. Um, but um, it's certainly been interesting, and we found out all about the uh, uh, Bill Gates and the fake COVID and, uh, <laughs> and Flat Earth and everything. So everyone, uh, pick up the new book. It's not about the gun. It's lessons from my global career as a female FBI agent And our guest was the author, Kathy Stearman. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Al. Thank you, David. I really appreciate the opportunity to um, speak to all your listeners.
3: Thank you, Kathy.
1: To find out more about our show,
0: guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.
3: has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll
2: see
1: you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back.
2: This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Imagine
0: the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
1: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,